Hallelujah. It is so good to be here, y'all. <laughs> My wife and I were talking about this process, and it's been like almost a year since I first got the crazy idea, maybe God would want me to think about new life. And I had heard about the pastoral search way before then, but maybe about a year ago is when I started thinking about it. And some of y'all know more than others, it's been crazy to get to this day. But I thank God for this day. And I thank God that this church has a history, it has a legacy in this city as one that knows about the grace of God. It has a legacy as a church that cares about broken and hurting people. It has a legacy, but it also has a future that God wants to do great things in this church. And I believe that with my whole heart. If I didn't believe it, I promise you I would not be here today. But I do believe it with my whole heart. I'm excited about New Life Church and the future of this church in reaching this community because you matter to God and to us. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together as we get ready to read the Word of God. We're going to be reading today from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Matthew 5, 1 through 5. Let me do one more thing before I do that, or else I'll get in trouble. Honey, can you just come up for a second? I'm going to get in trouble either way. She's going to be mad at me because I did this. Just so everybody knows... And nobody gets it twisted. This is mine right here. <laughs> By the grace of God, I thank God for this woman. God, she has been a great grace in my life from the Lord. Um, I've been called to be the pastor of New Life Church, but y'all get a package deal. You get this, this, young, this young thing right here who loves Jesus, and for some crazy reason, she loves me. And I just thank God for you, babe. Now with the sweetness on my lips, we can read God's word together. Matthew 5, 1 through 5. Let's go in here together. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. We pray that in every way, you will glorify your name even through your word today. Lord, build up your church. Strengthen your people. Dig out our ears where we're hard of hearing. Soften our hearts where we may have become hard. Reach us in every hidden place and glorify the name of Jesus Christ today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. In December of 2016, Charles Feeney finally finished what he had started some years earlier with a $7 million check to Cornell University. He finally had given away his entire $8 billion fortune. He used that money to stem the tide of AIDS in Africa. He used that money to build, to help to build a viable health care system in Vietnam. He used that money to build hospitals and schools on five different continents, but he didn't have his name on a single building. He thought it was wiser because 
A lot of donors want their name on the building. I'll just give most of the money. I'll let someone else who wants to help and get their name on the building, they can have that. I want to maximize my giving. Charles Feeney had grown exceedingly rich. Did some of y'all hear me? Eight billion dollars? Some of us won't make that in 10 years. Eight billion dollars is a lot of money, y'all. He grew exceedingly rich. He invested in tech companies, and he, he was a businessman in New York, but he was famous for living life on the cheap. His favorite place to eat was a, a little pub that he went to that had an inexpensive hamburger that he would get. He never flew in first class. I flew there once, and I thought I was a king. He never flew. $8 billion, he didn't fly first class. And famously, he would carry his reading materials in a little plastic bag. But he had blown up, blown way up, blown $8 billion up. But what did he do when he blew up? He scaled down. He scaled way down. He gave away all that money. His net worth after that was $2 million. Now, some of you are saying, I could live off that. I think I'd be fine with two. But think about it. He had $8 billion. So what, what that means is he gave away 99, I did the math, 99.975% of what he had. Some of y'all say, do I have to tie the whole 10%? He, that, that wasn't just a tithe. That was what I call a tithey, 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 tithe. He gave away all this money. When we come to our text today, Jesus was blowing up. If you look in chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, verse 25, it says, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, which means the ten cities, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan had followed him. Jesus' headquarters was in Galilee, in Capernaum, near the sea, right on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jerusalem is about 85 miles to the south. Basically, it's the distance between New York and Philadelphia. And, and what this scripture is telling us is that Jesus is here in Jerusalem, it's as if he's in Philly and people say, everyone from New York, everyone from Trenton, everyone from Patterson, New Jersey, everyone from Allentown and Jenkintown and every other town, everybody's coming to see Jesus. They heard about his healing of the sick. They heard about his casting out of demons. And his message was like no one else's that they'd ever heard. Everyone's coming to Jesus. Jesus had blown up. But what does he do with his blow-uppage? Jesus does something strange. He does something different. You see, he was at a point where... Everyone was willing to follow him. They were ready to get on the J train. That's the Jesus train, if you didn't get it. But they're ready to get on the J train, and wherever he wants to go, they're going to follow. But he comes, and he gives this sermon. This sermon that cuts against every way of the world. This sermon that is totally revolutionary. This sermon that turns the world upside down. What he does is he lays out a way of life that contradicts everything the world says about success. That's what we're going to go through in the next few weeks and even the next few months. He lays out a way of life that no person is able to live without the timely, present powerful, indwelling, and dynamic work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Jesus is going to let us know in this sermon that the kingdom that he came to initiate is not a kingdom about self. It's not a kingdom about my own swag, my mad swag. But it's a kingdom that's about the God of the universe. I'm not pointing at me. My life points to that God. That's what he's coming 
to train us in. That's what he's coming to teach us in. And we'll look at this from Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. We'll be looking at that over the next few months. And over these next three weeks, we'll be looking at the first part, the Beatitudes. Today, we're looking at just the first three in verses 3 through 5. My title for today is The Blessing of Realized Brokenness. The Blessing of Realized brokenness. Doesn't that sound crazy? Blessing and brokenness in the same sentence. That sounds a little wrong. Sounds a little nuts. I don't know if anyone else is like me. I love the Philadelphia 76ers, especially now that they're getting a little bit better. But sometimes even better than watching them is listening to them on the radio. Anyone ever listen to them on the radio? They have, I think, the best announcer in the history of of sports, Tom McGinnis. And Tom McGinnis has a saying that he uses. And I think of it when I think of this idea of blessing and brokenness together. He'll use it when he thinks the official makes a bad call or something's crazy in the game. But what Tom McGinnis says is, are you kidding me? Who's ever heard that? Are you kidding me? The blessing of brokenness? Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. It's real. It's real. And so it's the nature of the kingdom of God, or as Matthew says over and over again, the kingdom of heaven. It's an upside-down kingdom. The best thing that anyone in this room has ever got or will ever get, your salvation came out of the most heinous, terrible act in the history of the world. The Son of God, the perfect, sinless one, nailed to a cross. God's wrath poured out on him. And out of that evil, wicked event comes our salvation. Life only comes out of death. Healing comes after hurt. But this is the kingdom that we're about to learn more about. So before we go into the individual verses for a minute, I just want to talk about the word that you'll see over and over again. Blessed, 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 blessed. What does that word mean? It means to be especially favored. It means to be fortunate. It means to be privileged from a transcendent perspective. In these verses, the idea of blessing means those who are privileged recipients of divine favor. That sounds good, doesn't it? But then we've got to figure out what that means because we're talking about those who are the privileged recipients are the poor in spirit. Those who are the privileged recipients are the mourners. Those who are the privileged recipients of God's divine pleasure are the meek. It doesn't seem like it goes together, but let's look at how it does. So we'll look at these verses today. Realize brokenness consists of three things, and we'll look at each of them. First of all, a recognition of your personal poverty. A recognition of your personal poverty. Look with me at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting in the Beatitudes that only here in verse 3 and in the last Beatitude, verse 10, the blessing is not something that is something that will happen in the future. You will be comforted in verse 4. You will inherit the earth in verse 5 and so on. But in verse 3, theirs is the kingdom of God. Verse 10 which puts it all together, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there's the idea here in verse 3 that's also in verse 10 that uh, God's blessing, the, the place in God's kingdom is not simply something that we look forward to, but it is the present possession of those who meet this qualification. 
It's not a carrot that God is putting out, that Jesus is putting out, and say, come this far, and you get that far, and it's moved a little further away, and you get there, and it's a little further away. No, he says, theirs is now, now, the kingdom of heaven. It's the present tense possession of the people of God. It belongs to you. It belongs to all who call on the name of the Lord. But your understanding and recognition of your personal poverty is a prerequisite for entering this kingdom. Now someone is saying, Pastor Larry, it's your first day. And why are you going to do heresy on your first day? Because, Pastor Larry, that can't be quite right because salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. What are you talking about personal poverty? Well, I agree you are right. It is by grace alone. It is by faith alone. It is through Christ alone. But the reality is that you will never recognize Jesus Christ for what he is and your need for him if you don't know your personal poverty. Jesus' first preaching in Matthew 4 and 17 is a real simple sermon. He simply says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repentance is a call to turn your life around. Repentance is a call that says you're going this way towards sin, but now you need to turn around and go in the opposite direction for God. We don't do that when we think our life is cool, when we got it together, when we're chill. Why would you, you would be foolish if everything is right and your world is good and you turn around and do the opposite. It's already working. Someone said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Right? It's working. Why would I do that? Now, for young people, you may get this. Some other people may not get it. But if your life is on fleek, there's no need to be meek. It rhymes, y'all. I love a good rhyme. Everything's going good. Why would I change it? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Abraham had a great promise from God that his children would be like the sand of the sea, they would be like the stars of the heaven. But while Abraham still had strength in his body, him and Sarah were trying to help God and figure out ways to make it happen. Y'all remember that? And out of all their effort, out of all their figuring it out, because things still worked enough, he said, we can still do this. I'm kind of old, but we still got enough to do this. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Out of all that figuring out how to help God get it done came not Isaac, but his other son. And out of that union, we see even to this day, warring 3,000 years later. 3,000 years ago. And here we are with Ishmael and Isaac still fighting helping God to do what God said, I'm going to do it. But what happens with Abraham is that the the Bible says, when his body was as good as dead. What does that mean? It means none of the baby-making equipment worked anymore. That's what it means. When he realized the poverty and the inability of his own body, then he came to trust in God. God said it, and he believed it this time. Many of us are in a similar place in our walk with God. Maybe some things are working. Some things are going pretty well. We got some stuff together, but we're not recognizing the poverty of our need for God. And when we move on and continue to live in trying to manipulate life to make it work for us without truly depending on God, we'll never experience the fullness of his blessing in our lives. See, our little successes are like moldy, tasty cakes. 
don't know if anyone's ever had a moldy, tasty cake. I hope not. But compared to the overwhelming banquet of blessing that God has in store for us. And we're like, no, this is pretty good. I like this little tasty cake. God's got something so much better for y'all. So much better for me. Your money, your material possessions, your popularity, your Instagram identity, your Facebook fabulousness. None of these things make it into the kingdom. None of them make it there. Here's a question to think about. Do you look to God? Do you look to God like a person who's aware of your poverty? Or do you look like a person that's pretty much got it together? I need a little help now and then. God said it this way through Isaiah, for the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this, I live in a high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the oppressed. It's the heart of God. So two things I want to say here, I think they'll be on the board. Number one, if you don't recognize the degree of your neediness, you'll never experience the power and the blessing of God. Get that? If you don't recognize the degree of your own neediness, you won't experience the power and the blessing of God. And number two, when you fail to care for the oppressed and the lowly, you are actively working against the God that created you. Do you hear me? When we neglect, forget to care for the oppressed and the lowly, we're working against the hand of Almighty God. God calls us to be a people who knows our poverty of spirit and who cares for the oppressed around us. That's our first point today. The second point, not only does realize brokenness mean that you realize your poverty, but also that you embrace the life of empathetic care for others. Look at verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Again, that doesn't sound like a blessing, but blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God's comfort, true and lasting comfort, is not for the comfort. Can somebody in this place say amen? God's comfort is not for the comfortable. This beatitude, like the next five, talks about a promised future condition. In theological terms, we talk about an eschatological blessing. In other words, when Jesus Christ comes back, he's about to wreck shop. He's about to set everything in order. And those who mourn will now know a comfort like this world has never known. It's coming and it's sure. And Jesus lets us know that it's coming and sure. But let me say a few things as we look at this more about this Sermon on the Mount as a whole, just a little bit, because I didn't really do an introduction to the sermon, but in verse 1 of chapter 5, it tells us that at the end of that verse, his disciples came to him. So this sermon here, this teaching that he has, is primarily geared towards his disciples. Now, it's not the 12 disciples, because... In Matthew's gospel, he hadn't even called them yet. So it's not the 12. The disciples are those people who have begun to follow Jesus. They're Jesus followers. That's who it's talking about. And so that is who this is addressed to. The most important question that we can ever ask is if we know that, am I one of them? Am I one of them? Am I one who follows Jesus, not just to the nice places, not just to the banquet, but will I follow him in his mourning? This is a message for followers of Jesus and 
from the very beginning, you see here in this sermon, this isn't a feel-good sermon. He's about to say some really hard things. We've already read two of them, hard things. It's not a motivational speech that tells you how to make lemonade out of the lemons in your life. It's not that. It's something much deeper. Jesus is giving us a divine commentary on the Hebrew scriptures, and uh, he's giving us a a, a laser-focused view on the heart of the God of the universe. His message is purposefully startling. It's powerfully provocative, and it's seriously upsetting. Jesus says no to the status quo. He says, it can't be this way anymore, especially to the religious leaders, especially to the most religious people of his day. He said, you've had your time. Now the kingdom of heaven is at hand and things are about to change. So we come back to this idea that those who mourn will be comforted. Why is that so important? That's a great question. If you are living in the same world that I am, and I really pray that most of you are, that would be good. That'd be a great start. Then it's not hard to see that we live in a world that is a hot mess. And and, and here's the thing. It didn't just get this way just now. Since Genesis chapter 3, the world's been a hot mess. We, we tend to think our hot mess is hotter and messier than every hot mess in history. But if you read history at all, you know that history is terrible with war and with famine and with death. Ever since Adam and Eve in the garden disobeyed God, God said, I, only, I want you to listen to me. And, and basically what Adam and Eve said is, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'll I'll do my own thing. I want the knowledge of good and evil. I want to make up the rules. Your rules are great, but I want to be the one to make up the rules. Ever since that day, ever since that time, death rules. The unrelenting, inescapable reality that doesn't let anyone off the hook. Death, despair, physical poverty, hatred, animosity, war, racism, injustice in every epoch of human history and in every culture that has ever existed, we see these things. It's not going away easily. It's not going away simply. That's the world that you live in. That's the world that I live in. And God says to us here, blessed are they those who mourn. This ought to bring about mourning in our lives. This isn't self-pity. This isn't a Facebook post that says, I'm bored. This isn't mumbling and complaining about your boss or your school or your teacher or your spouse or your lack of spouse. That's not what it is. But this morning is entering into the pain of this fallen world. Blessed are those who enter into the pain of of a fallen world, not just their own pain, but mourning for others as well. Problem is that in 21st century America, because that's where we are now, comfort has become our God. Comfort has become our God, and it is at our fingertips. I don't know about anyone else, but I love Amazon Prime. And it wasn't too long ago, he just ordered something on there. And it wasn't too long ago that for the first time, the Lord blessed me with Uber Eats. So it's easy in our culture. Things can cater to us, especially if you got a little dolo. You got a little cheese. <laughs> Life can cater to you. But, but the reality is that we have made comfort our God. But for God, comfort is not for the comfortable. He invites you to mourn. He invites you to a way of life that embraces the tears and the pain 
of this lost world, but with the hope of true justice, with the hope of true reconciliation, with the hope and the sure hope that God one day will make all things right. So this mourning is not a loss of hope, but it is mourning through to the other side of hope. You are seldom more like Jesus than when you enter into the pain of others. You're seldom more like Jesus than when you order your life around seeing God's goodness and God's justice manifested in the life of hurting people. On the cross, Jesus' love compelled him to take your sin and my sin on himself so that we could be free even though we were justly condemned in our sin. Before he goes to the cross, I love this picture. In Matthew 23, Jesus looks over Jerusalem. He's looking over a city that has killed prophet after prophet after prophet and even his cousin John. And he knows what's about to happen. He's about to be put to death by these same people. And yet the Bible says he looks over Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets. How many times have I wished to gather you like a hen gathers a chick under her wings? He knows what they're about to do. Crucify him, crucify him. And he knows their pain and yet he enters in and he cries tears. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let me ask you this question. Is your life's purpose bigger than your personal comfort? Is your life's purpose bigger than your personal comfort? And if so, what is that? If those who mourn are blessed... If we say we believe that, then a question to ask ourselves is why do we spend most of our lives avoiding mourning, denying mourning, pretending that the real and desperate suffering of others is something we can ignore as we seek our own self-actualization and fulfillment? Brothers and sisters, God is inviting you in this the attitude Jesus is inviting you to align yourself with the God who grieves. He said through David in Psalm 30, weeping may endure for a night. Y'all know the rest of it, but joy comes in the morning. Later in that same Psalm, he said, you turn my mourning into dancing. You remove my sackcloth. You clothe me with joy. When we enter into the mourning of a God who cares about the broken and the lost and the hurting, we, as surely as we enter into that, we will enter into the other side of knowing the comfort and the joy and the blessing of God. We will dance with him, even if you don't have rhythm. Amen. My wife's trying to teach me some dance steps, but I'm slow to learn. I'm going to get it, babe. I'm going to get it. Let's look at this last piece. Not only does realized brokenness require that you recognize your personal poverty and that you empathize with others, but also, and this is really hard. It's going to be hard for some of y'all probably for all of y'all, including me, it requires that you, willing, that you have a willingness to give up control. Somebody said, ouch. I heard that, sister. A willingness to give up control. Look at verse 5. Blessed are the meek. Some translations, blessed are the humble. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I want to look at that word. The word translated meek there means, listen to this first part, it means not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. I heard a lot of oohs and ahs on that one. I need to look in a mirror and say it again. 
Not being overly impressed by a sense of one's own self-importance. And I do ooh and ah on that. I know that my default in, in my own sin is to think way more of myself than I should. And that, that tends to be the default. That's why in Romans 12, I think it's verse 3, Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Why does he have to say that? Because that's what we all do. Like, if I don't do it, if I don't do it, it won't get done. Listen, God was working well before you got on the scene. He'll be fine when you go off the scene. This is my first day in the pulpit at New Life Church, and I pray that there's many more. But New Life Church doesn't depend on Larry Smith. It, it, it doesn't now, and it never will. It depends on God who is able to save and to change. This word's only used three other times in the New Testament. It's used in Matthew eleven twenty nine, a famous verse. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me because I am lowly, and here's the word, and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. It's used again of Jesus in Matthew chapter 21, he is quoting the prophet Zechariah 21.5. He says, see, your king is coming to you, gentle, that's this same word, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I call this quality, this, what says meek here, as gentle humility. God is calling us to gentle humility. Jesus' life was marked by gentle humility. That's why the Jewish nation as a whole missed him as the Messiah. They weren't looking for gentle humility. They were looking for a powerful political leader who would turn Rome on its head and now the Jewish nation was on top. Will crush everyone else underfoot. Political power. They were looking for a mighty warrior with an army who would destroy anything and anyone in his path. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for the leader of a military machine. They found a man instead who willingly let others bully him, betray him, batter him, and brutalize him. That's why they didn't see him as the Messiah. I love Matthew 12, 20. It quotes Isaiah 41, 3. Prophecy about Jesus. Isaiah writing 700 or more years before Jesus that says, A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick is barely going. That wick on the candle, he won't snuff it out. I thank God because I'm a bruised reed. And sometimes I'm a smoldering wick. But in his gentle humility, he restores. And he lays out a radical expectation for those who would follow him. His followers are those who will be characterized by this same gentle humility. We'll see as we read through the rest of this sermon that that gentle humility doesn't look to get even when it's been hurt. That gentle humility doesn't look for revenge when everything in your body and in the culture says you deserve some revenge. It's just the opposite. But most especially as I consider this word, the meek, Gentle humility, it means as well that we live out a life that is given to submission to another. Gentle humility is living a life that is in submission to another. Jesus comes in his first coming. And we see instances where he heals the sick. Sometimes he raises the dead. Sometimes he heals blind eyes. But other times he does not. There's one instance where 
The disciples came to him after he had healed many, many people in Capernaum, and he went away to a solitary place by himself. But the disciples found him early in the morning. They said, there's all kind of people lined up. They're waiting for you, Lord. you got to go back to Capernaum. And he said, no, I don't. The Father hasn't told me to go there. The Father told me I need to go somewhere else and preach the good news. Jesus couldn't have healed everyone because he was strictly under the orders of his Father. I do what the Father says to do. And we remember Gethsemane. Jesus, on his knees, Luke's Gospel records that he is sweating like drops of blood, and he is considering as 100% man as well as 100% God the awfulness of what lays right in front of him, and he says, Father, if there's any way, take this cup away from me. But at the end of it, he says, but not my will, but thy will be done. A life of meekness and gentle humility is a life that is under the authority of someone else. Jesus lived that out. A radical trust in his Father. And he calls us to live a radical trust in God. Brothers and sisters, too often we try to manipulate things to make them work. Let let me give you an illustration from church history. The year was 258. The Roman emperor was Valerian. He began a brutal persecution of Christians in Rome. He was killing the priests, the bishops, all the hierarchy of the church. And there was a young man whose name just happened to be Lawrence, no relation. In church history, he's known as St. Lawrence, so I know I'll never get that one. Anyway, um, he was a young man, but he was the deacon. How many deacons we have here? Are deacons here? Hallelujah. I love deacons, y'all. I love deacons. And as the deacon of the church in Rome, he was the one who was the caretaker of all the stuff, of all the wealth of the church. And so the Roman officials who were putting to death all the leaders of the church came to Lawrence and they said, you're the one who is responsible for all the wealth of this wealthy church We want you to give it over to us. And he said, that sounds right. Can you give me three days so so that I can gather all of it? I can make sure that we have every candlestick. We have everything that is worthy and valuable. I want to make sure I get it all. They said, okay, three days. You got three days. What St. Lawrence did in those three days is he, he did gather everything, but he also gathered the crippled. He also gathered the blind. He also gathered uh, those who were destitute. He gathered widows and he gathered orphans and he gathered those who had leprosy and he gave away everything he could get his hands on to those people. Knowing that that would cost him his life, at the end of three days, the government official comes to St. Lawrence and says, give me the riches of the church. And he gives them, and he shows them these same people. The blind, the leprous, the destitute, the widow. And he says, the riches of God's church, here they are. And they far outweigh the riches of your emperor. Knowing that those words were sealing his own death certificate. Gentle humility does not manipulate things in order that they work in my favor. Gentle humility takes marching orders from another, from God himself. Jesus promises to his disciples to live in gentle humility. Blessed are the meek, has a promise connected with it. For they will inherit the earth. I don't know about you, but that's pretty exciting to me. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The Bible is crazy with promises. 
you know in Romans 8.17, it says of those who are the adopted sons and daughters of God that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Some of you, you might not think that's good news. I happen to think it's good news. That means that everything that belongs to Jesus, I got my name written down. I didn't write it myself, but it's been written down, and I'm a co-heir with him. Some of y'all like Caribbean vacations. And, and, and he says, okay, you get Jamaica, you get Trinidad and Tobago, you get Aruba. The earth belongs to you. It's yours. He says they'll inherit the earth. Some of you like to go to the mountains, maybe the Poconos. He says, forget the Poconos. You, you, you get Tibet, you get Mount Everest. You get the biggest one I got. The biggest John that there is. Amen. You'll inherit the earth. That's his promise. But Jesus is calling you and Jesus is calling me to stop living to control and to start trusting in his control. Especially regarding the things that are closest to your heart. He's calling you to take your locked down fingers off the steering wheel of your life and allow him to drive. He is not your co-pilot. Here's a question. What's one area of your life where God is calling you to quit on control and to focus on his Listen, when you give up your life in a fruitless frenzy for control, you'll find a faithful and firm friend who will take care of you. That's Jesus Christ. Let me close today with a personal illustration. Just a couple words before I get there. Listen, y'all, we're all broken in different ways. And the world wants to cover that up and act like it's not true, but that's the nasty little secret. When you get alone in your secret place, you can't hide from that reality. And there's one who's got it all together. And I promise you his name is not Larry. His name is Jesus. Realize brokenness. When you get it in your soul, it will help you to look away from defective deliverers and trust in the righteous redeemer the one who can take you to the other side so let me close with this illustration Harriet and I have three biological children we are so thankful God has blessed us three wonderful young people one of them is sitting right over here hey Josh he came to support me today I love that guy We've been blessed by our kids. We have three grands as well. What a blessing. But there's another young man who for about the last 27 years or so has called me dad. He called my wife, mom. So, Sean, stand up. Just come over here for a second, brother. What's up, little man? I asked LaShawn for permission to say what I'm about to say. LaShawn has had a rough life. He grew up, I met him as a teenager, 14 years old. He grew up in the foster care system in Philadelphia. He aged out of the foster care system. God kept him, but he went through a whole lot of mess in those years. It was difficult. And to be honest, things have been difficult since then. LaShawn never met his biological dad. He calls me dad. Pop. He probably calls me some other things when I'm not around, but <laughs> but he's been an incredible blessing in our lives. He's suffered more than most people have suffered, and life has been messy. But here, here's the thing about this young man. Life is broken in a thousand different ways. 
but he is learning to lean on the everlasting arms of God who is able to put him together. You can sit down. LaShawn will tell you, he'll be quick to tell you, I ain't got it all together yet. (laughs) But God is at work. I hope everyone in this room can say the same thing. I ain't got it all together yet. I got some challenges. I've got some broken areas. But let me tell you this, my God is able. My God is able to set my feet on solid ground. My God is able. Where I'm striving for control, I give it to you, Lord. Where I am living for my comfort, I give it to you, Lord. We give this life over to the only God who's able to take care of us. Listen, as I close, just like Charles Feeney gave away $8 billion That's hard for me to say. We need to give away our pride, give away your control, give away your desperate desire for comfort, give away anything and everything that stops you from trusting fully in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, God gives you his comfort, God gives you his kingdom, and God gives you his God-sized blessing. There's nothing else like it in this world. Let me pray as I close today. And I know that the prayer team will be coming up. I think the musicians, they can come up now. When I close, do the prayer team come up? Yeah, have the prayer team come up now. Because there may be areas, and I know they'll be up front as well as some people in the back. God may be tapping you on the shoulder today. We want to create an atmosphere of praise in this church. I know, and an atmosphere of prayer in this church. I know this is a praying church, but in the coming weeks, we're going to up our prayer game, if that's all right with y'all. We're going to up the prayer game at this church. But I want us to be able to move and respond to the word of God. If God is tapping you on the shoulder about something we talked about today, Come on up and receive prayer. Amen? Let me pray. You can come up now if you want to, and, uh, and then the musicians will play and we'll close our service. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace. Lord, be with us even at this time. I pray, oh God, many of us, this word is finding us out. Your word steps on our toes, but when you do that, you also bring the healing for our brokenness. So I thank you for every person in this room, Father God. Minister by your grace and by your power and have your way in all these things I pray in Jesus' name.